Welcome to Creative Engineering. This is our first podcast on all things creative and open source projects, what we're working on, and what we're excited about. With me today, I have my co-host, Norbert. How about you tell us a little bit about yourself? Thanks, Rodi. Um, my name is Norbert. Um, I'm studying computer science in Germany. Been doing Flutter for about two years now and always been interested in pushing the technology, thinking about our ways to do it and just trying things out. Right now, unfortunately, um, having a lot of work, so I'll right now in a phase of trying to get back into making stuff happen and doing cool stuff. How about you, Rodi? Yeah, so I have uh, been working with Father for quite a while now. Um, I, before this, I had a non-traditional background. I was a musician, worked as an audio engineer for a number of years, system administrator, and just one day decided I wanted to explore creative passion again, and that led me to software development, specifically app development, uh, where I built my first app that got me my first job, and it was... Um, really challenging, but at the same time, I had this unrelenting passion for creating things because I realized that app development was just this blank canvas um, and was super excited about it. So what uh, got you started with Flutter? Um, it's quite a fun story. Well, it's not that fun, to be honest, but basically it was a sheer accident. Like I was sitting in my computer one day and was just scrolling YouTube as you do. And I saw this video, I think it was from the dark conf. Um, and they talked about something called Flutter and never heard about it. Um, I actually haven't watched the video, but like the next day I came back and was like, oh, that sounded interesting. Let's, let's just take a look. Uh, I watched it and was like super interested. Back at that point, I was working or just as a hobby project on an app in Android. Um, like I've been doing Android before Flutter and Basically, the app was a book collection app. Like at that time, I was reading a lot. I thought, how cool would it be if you could um, some uh, somehow gamify reading books, collect those books, and just have your virtual um, bookshelf? And so I thought to myself, okay, Flourish sounds pretty interesting. Um, could I try this out and see how it goes in Flourish? Um, so I downloaded the SDK. Um, I installed it. I never heard about Dart before. Um, but it was actually very easy to get into. Like Dart is very similar to Java and Kotlin, which I've been doing before. And I've literally coded the app from from first hearing about Flutter to having a very basic MVP. Like it was very basic. You had a search bar and you could qu query an API. Um, but I had to done in about one or two days and it felt great. Um, and soon after, I actually, like, back when I was doing Android, I always thought about making a blog, and I was like, what should I talk about? So with Flora, I decided, okay, I made this little app, why not um, make a blog about it? And that was my very first blog post, and from there on, it just more blog posts, more, st more stuff. Um, yeah. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah, I feel like a lot of people... Um, have a similar experience with Flutter where Dart was not really the limiting factor. And also I feel like a lot of people give Dart a bad name because they think of Dart 1 and it's by far not the same Dart. Um, for me, I had a pretty similar experience because I was doing a lot of C-sharp.net development um, as well as I also did Android. But before Android, my experience was actually in Swift and um, Objective-C building iOS apps. But then I came across uh, this platform called Flutter when I was doing looking for a cross-platform solution. I had looked into, I actually created examples in NativeScript, Xamarin, React Native, and then this was just when Flutter Beta 2 launched. And I was like, sure, I'll give it a try. And then I was blown away with how stable, quote unquote, uh, the beta release was of this framework and how it was so much more mature than um, a lot of these other frameworks out there that had been out for so much longer. And I love the fact that you could use this SDK and update to you know each version and not have to break everything. Yes, there are going to be things that didn't work, but it was like you know changing usually a variable here and there. And um, I was just really happy with the developer experience side of Flutter. Yes. Also, you briefly mentioned Dart not being a limited factor. Um, to be honest, the more I work with Dart and the more I look at our languages, I feel like Dart right now, to be honest, for mobile development, 
is one of the best languages in my opinion because it combines so many powerful things like okay just on time compilation ahead of time compilation which is like one of the big things but even small language features like always adding the the spread operator the there's so many other things yeah. which just make dart a very expressive and a very fast to write in language like I rarely have times where I sit down, have a problem. I think, okay, Dart is actually holding me back in doing this, which I had in Java. Like if I remember back, just having to define new classes, to have a callback, having all those things before the lambdas came in. Uh, I think it was Java 8, wasn't it? Yeah. Like Dart, yeah, sure. yeah Dart feels like a good language and it somehow combines the power of having those untyped javascript things and just being fast but also having the the java and the strongly types of things to make things uh, productive and bug free and also um yeah you touched on the the hot reload that to me was just something i was so excited about you know like when i was working with firebase on ios i mean you know you're talking about like eight minute build time sometimes and it's like you know like oh I'm going to go adjust something in the storyboard. Oh, let me move it by half a pixel. Oh, still wrong. Let me go compile again. Eight minutes, you know, and just this like weird infinite loop that you get in. Um, and for me, I don't know if it was the same for you, but I was always afraid of UI development before Flutter. I had done a lot of UI development, but I just thought it was like a bad UI designer. But what I realized is I didn't have a platform in which I was able to create um, and express myself while experimenting and not being afraid to try something. With Flutter, like I could prototype four or five different screen UIs in the course of like 15 minutes. That would take me, you know, easily a couple of days to do on iOS. Um, they're just, and, and also, at least with storyboards and declarative UI, you put so much into the UI that there's almost like this, um, you know, this sunk cost fallacy where you feel like you've put so much work into it and you just don't want to break it. You just want to make sure it stays working. Or, or you do the inverse where you just find components and be like, oh, this is the stock components. They look good, so might as well use them. I was guilty of that because it's just like, well, I can use the table view here. I can use the navigation uh, component here. I can use, you know, um, these, you know, just all the default stuff. And I felt like that really limited my UI because, you know, it was only ever as good as the OS was going to make it. Yes, and also like just not being afraid of doing something on your own like an android and stuff if you see a designer try out something new and just pushing the boundaries was like oh my god that's so hard like i have to read so much documentation and figure out how the operating system is handling this when for it's like okay so we could use a hero widget we could also look into how the hero widget works and just build something from there like you have all the expressivity like you can build so many custom things um, without much of a hassle, like like most of the things that are done are super easy to build. The only thing I'm a bit afraid of in Flora are slivers because slivers are always super complex um, and they're they're <laughs> sometimes weird. But even yeah. like they they also have a lot of components which you can just use out of the box, and at the end you can make something work. But other than that, like all the things are just so easy to use. If you want to make some custom painting or have some sort of graphic, it's like super easy to do that with Flutter. Well, what's nice about Flutter too is you can take, you know, an existing, you know, render box, for example. You could write your own layout strategy if you wanted to. Um, you could completely, um, you know, follow CSS Grid um, just with pure, you'd have to implement all the, the layout behavior. But, you know, Flutter was the first framework that allows you to truly, you know, set your own behavior. You can have it as abstract or as down to low level as you want. You could go straight to the canvas and just paint everything custom, or you could just rely on pre-built widgets like containers and all this other stuff, and you can still get a really cool performant UI. Um, yeah, there's some things you got to watch out for um, that you need to be careful of. But overall, I mean, I feel like you just really can make expressive UI fast. Yes, and I mean, combining that with Hot Reload, like, it sounds dumb, but just having that Hot Reload makes it so much more fun. And s like, you're more happy to develop with Hot Reload. Like, I feel like that. It's the most frustrating thing ever if you have a um, bug, which might not be that big of a bug, but you have to try 
a few things out. Like maybe you have a wrong path and you have to see whether it's a relative one or whatever. And build times are high. Like it's so frustrating to change yeah. something little and then wait for literally five minutes until you can see, okay, it didn't work. Let's try something different. And it just eats up so much time, but also energy. Like you're not actually working, but it feels like hard work compared to just making UI hot reloading and just going through that blazingly fast. Yeah, and also, you know, you you have this hot reload cycle, but it also keeps the state of the app. So you can be, you know, 20 screens deep and you're just updating that change, which is awesome. Um, and speaking of hot reload being fast, uh, what's your experience been like with working with Flutter on the desktop um, as a prototyping tool? Yes, so that's actually one thing if somebody asks for my secret tip in Flutter is if you have an app which doesn't use too many plugins which are maybe not implemented desktop, go give Flutter Desktop a try and see how it may improve development. Like, it has so many benefits. Like, for example, if you have an application which doesn't use any plugins, so everything works on Flutter Desktop. First off, resources. Like, my hardware isn't the best. Eight gigabytes of RAM isn't that fun to use IntelliJ with an Android emulator. Um, so instead of using a real device, just booting up Flutter Desktop, uh, running it in there is such an improvement. Also, like just being able to resize the window and see different configurations is so great. Um, how's your experiences? Yeah, I I have the same. Um, you know, I love being able to prototype UI. I find layout bugs in just a matter of seconds on desktop, where that takes me you know months to figure out. Oh. I built my app, but long, let me test it on the iPhone 5. Oh, everything's broken. So it's like, you know, it's like uh, with desktop, um, I don't know if a lot of people know this, but, you know, you can you can test web UI on desktop because you can test all your responsiveness and it'll be the same UI when you launch it on the web. So um, I don't think web supports hot reload at the time of the recording of this episode, but um, yeah, it's been super nice to be able to do that. And also you'll be surprised at how many plugins do work. I mean, Firebase Authentication, Cloud Functions, and a bunch of other Google Sign-In even, I believe, just recently got support. So all these things you can actually do on the desktop already. Um, and yeah, and it's not too bad to do API calls anyway. So It, it works on Mac most. Like I think all those yeah, cool Mac, things yeah. that work, work on Mac, So um, which doesn't help me too much, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's true. Like uh, the biggest thing right now with our desktop is that it doesn't support Firebase. Like that's pretty annoying because I had and have a few projects with Firebase, which I'd love to use for a desktop to develop and prototype with, but I just can't because most of the app relies on, uh, on Firebase. And I mean, I could implement some sort of mock of Firebase on desktop, but that wouldn't like, that would be too much work for um, yeah. that, yeah. Yeah, I mean, there are some. There's a cool package out there which we can always link to in the description, which is called FireDart, which is a Dart native uh, compatible implementation of Firebase. It's all in pure Dart, and it basically wraps the gRPC kind of SDK. Um, what's nice about this is like I have built a couple admin utilities, so I can like create cron jobs that like update Firestore documents, things that aren't necessarily a good fit for functions, but a great fit for like, you know, these one-time content updating op um, operations. So what's neat about that is that actually already does work on desktop and doesn't depend on anything else. You just have to pass in, you know, the, the uh, you know, the, the secrets to make it work. Yep. Um, so what, um you know, one of the, one part of this podcast is we, we love to explore all kinds of things that are, you know, Flutter is one thing that we are both incredibly excited about. But we also are really involved in a lot of other projects and excited about general technologies and um, other projects and APIs that we're familiar with. So um, what are some experimental projects that you're working on that uh, have gotten you excited over the you know past couple of months? Yes. So as of right now, I'm pretty packed with work, so my free time for experimental projects have, has sunk quite a lot, which I hope uh, will come back soon. 
Um, but what I'm always very interested in, like one thing that stands out to me, and I think um, I'm not the only one who likes um, building the de developer tools. Like we as developers use stuff and see what's what, what's slow, what, what could be better. And just building stuff which makes your own workflow better is so fun. And I was always thinking about um, how could you make, for instance, in this case, Flutter development faster and um, yeah, just just fast. Like I was always thought, like if you have an app idea and you know what it's gonna be like, you know, you you will have to log in, you have account settings, all that stuff. Why does it still take you a couple of weeks or even months to build that app? Why can't you just sit down? Um, maybe take some designs which you bought. Maybe you have a designer and just finish the app in a weekend. Um, so one big project which I've been working a lot on last year mostly um, is the widget maker which gone, has gone through so many iterations and things. Um, project as of right now is on hold for just a bit, um, working on something else um, which is pretty similar but um, yeah just, just making um, developer tools is very interesting right now. How about you, Rody? No, oh, real quick. What is, what is the widget maker for those that are curious? Oh, that's that's a very good point. I didn't mention that. Um, so the widget maker, the original idea was um, a lot of languages have, or a lot of UI frameworks have those uh, drag and drop builders, which basically allows you to drag uh, in UI elements, composite them, and then have a finished running app. Um, the in the difference about the widget maker and the original concept is um, those are um, UI builders rely on a very static representation of UI. Think of XML in Android or HTML and CSS on web. But Flutter is different. Flutter has this code which is very, in a sense, organic, is very chaotic and it can be very, very hard to put into a structural form. Like yeah. in, in some language like HTML, you have like one or two or three ways to do something. In Dart and Flutter, you have infinite ways. Like you don't have to return a widget. You can return a function invocation, which returns a widget, which is totally the same, yeah. but it's still different. And people might be doing that because they have some sort of clever ideas how to abstract something away. And the problem is you don't want to limit people in their creativeness, like, okay, you cannot do this because you're using this. But um, it's also very hard to work with such code. And that's one thing I've always been trying to work around with. Um, but yeah, that's the widget maker in a nutshell. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah, I have. Uh, I know I remember first seeing it on Twitter and then being able to use it. And I thought it was just so cool to be able to like prototype a, a screen or even just a widget. Because um, for me, I have this dream that I, I hopefully will realize someday is, um, you know, be able to build a Flutter project on my iPad, you know, be able to proto prototype it and do everything. Because I feel like when you're in the prototyping phase, the design phase, that should, you don't need a compiler for that. You don't need that yet. Uh, but once you get to that point, you want to have a, a you know, robust, ready-to-go project. So, I don't know. I'm still exploring it with um, my Flutter editor that I've been building. But, you know, it's, um, it's, it's a cool concept because Flutter, I love that it doesn't limit you in that way. Like, you, it's not like on Android where you just have XML, like you said. Or, you know, you can, you can really, it's a declarative way, but it's also it's whatever you decide is the best way to generate. Now that means that there's some best practices. Like for example, if you're using a function to return a widget, sometimes it's not always recommended, but um, one of the member in the community named Remy, he's made a awesome package called function widget, which you can actually annotate those functions and it generates the actual implementation under the hood. Um, speaking of which that brings me to one of my kind of um, things that I'm exploring pretty heavily is um, code generation in Flutter because uh, Flutter has been the first tool that I've really used to do code generation hardcore. And the fact that you can just like, you know, with a couple lines of code generate, you know, thousands of lines of everything you possibly need um, is super cool. Um, 
one thing, one use case for this that people are unaware is like you can very easily take a, a data class and and Dart, for example, annotate a couple fields and then have JSON serialization um, just out of the box. You can uh, there's a package called More M O O R, um, which is super cool where you can annotate tables and uh, generate a whole SQLite database just with code generation and not have to write SQL statements themselves. So um, there's a lot of places in which, you know, Flutter and Dart in general allows you to write code that writes more code. And, and I think that's pretty cool. Um, some experimental projects I'm working on are, um, I've been exploring Rust uh, with Flutter. Uh, I think Rust is an awesome language. Been going through the Rust book and I think it's incredible just uh, how well it, you know, the first of all, how well the book reads, but how cool it is to be able to write like an audio library and then have it compile to wherever you need. Um, so I've been exploring creating like Wasm wrap, WASI wrappers really um, using Wasmer and then calling into that with FFI. FFI is a really cool technology in Dart, which allows you to call into any existing C and C++ code or library. And yeah, I think, I think it's awesome. Have you, have you worked with FFI yet? Yes, I actually have. I've also explored using Rust on um, Flora, especially for the desktop. Um, one thing that's super interesting nice. about this FI Rust thing is that those libraries you build, if you use a library which is implemented on all operating systems or just has some functionality which works everywhere, yeah. it can work on every platform. Like you can compile it to all desktop platforms, but also mobile. So as you said, you can have a, an audio plugin which just works in all platforms and you don't have to implement the other side, like the native side multiple times. You can just have one implementation, yes. have one wrapper for that and just have it work on all platforms, which is super powerful. The biggest thing I've seen with that though is um, a lot of the ones that work on all the desktop platforms usually don't work on web. And the ones that work on web don't usually work on desktop, at least for the audio stuff. Has that been the same for you? Haven't been exploring web with uh, FFI too much, to be honest. For, I mean, uh, Rust and web. Okay, so I haven't uh, done anything with yeah. Rust and web yet. Um, can you share a bit about your experiences because that's, Still very new yeah. to me, the whole um, WebAssembly and Rust on the web. So the cool thing about WebAssembly, if people aren't aware, it's a, it's a nice binary interchange format that allows you to easily load these modules um, and run and execute code in the browser, not in JavaScript, but directly in the binary format. So um, one cool thing about that is Rust can compile to WebAssembly as a target. Um, on on mobile and desktop, you can use FFI. FFI doesn't exist on Flutter Web. So to get around that, you can actually use the WebAssembly hooks in Flutter, um, which are part of the built-in DOM, um, you know, just part of the regular HTML library. You can call into WebAssembly and it'll call the code. I have some examples on GitHub that, that kind of dive into this, but it's really cool because you can use the same Rust code. Um, if it's a generic enough code, like a, you know, like kind of um, like a math library or something like that. The cool part is Rust will compile to all the targets pretty easily. Um, if you're dealing with things that deal with like file IO and stuff like that, then it's only gonna support a limited number of targets. But what's cool about that is, um, you know, you can, like for the counter example in Flutter, I was able to write the counter logic in Rust compile that to WebAssembly and then use Wasmer to run WebAssembly in Flutter on all the platforms. So since WASI, if you're unaware, is the wrapper around WebAssembly that allows you to run WebAssembly on desktop, mobile, and web. On web, you don't have to have it wrapped since you can just call directly into it. Um, but that's really cool. I think that's a, an exciting feature for um, shareable code because what's neat about that is like, Think about like all the packages we create and what if we wanted to create a native plugin and instead of doing it in Dart or if Dart supports WebAssembly, we could write the, the native code, have it compile to WebAssembly and then the plugin would just be the wrapper around that WebAssembly module. So instead of having to write, you know, C++ and Linux, or sorry, C++ and Swift and Objective-C and C-sharp, 
or we could also just write a plugin that calls the FFI handles and stuff like that. So I think that's a, a nice, interesting wave of the uh, future of plugin development too. Yes, definitely. One thing I also wanted to talk about quickly, you mentioned a few things uh, before we switch to the native topic. Um, first of code generation, like one thing that I'm always um, curious um, what people think is, so for me, code generation is this weird thing. It's super powerful and it can do so many amazing things, but I don't really like having to generate code to write valid code. Like for example, mm -hmm. um, JSON parsing. Like I first have to write code which doesn't compile on its own because it depends on part files and some things that are gonna be generated later and you have to actively run the generator or start the watcher which does it all for yourself. Um, and you have the state where the code is broken until you run this command and it somehow adds more mental complexity for me. Like you have these things you, you cannot touch and it, I, I don't like it too much. What is your opinion? So I've taken a different approach, which is like I've been a super huge fan of Freezed um, because I like anything that I'm generating with code is almost always an immutable data structure, something that's not going to be modified or changed. Um, in fact, it won't be changing at runtime and it'll always be whatever I release it with. Um, so from that standpoint, yeah, it, it is kind of weird sometimes when you're like in this loop of like making a change and then you run the generator and see what broke because it may update a lot of different things that don't exist anymore. I had that big problem with more, for example, like I'd update a SQL statement or, you know, whatever. And then all of a sudden, you know, three different screens have to return a different object. So that was kind of interesting um, to deal with. But I would say for the most part, the benefits have outweighed the cons for me. Yeah, like, I still hope like, I love code generation. And um, it's great, because it just adds this new layer of meta programming which exponentially increases the power you have um but yeah I, I somehow hope there's gonna be some sort of solution which is more which feels more natural and is easier to to use like i i haven't used code generation just recently but i remember using those json serializers and each time I wanted to use them, I had to go for a tutorial because I was, okay, now I have to add this serializer and I have to import this part file and .g files. And it was always a bit complex. And I, I really hope it's going to be uh, easier at some point. <laughs> well, I do know that there there is some work being done on Flutter. Like there is a Flutter generate command, which does kind of, it takes that abstraction instead of generating the code, you know, right along with part files, it generates the code inside the build folder. So as a build target. So I don't know if that would be helpful because I mean, it is helpful, but I don't know if that's maybe would be easier for you because then it's more of a, you have everything you need because you're declaring it. Um, and then it basically generates it, the implementation like you're working with an abstract class and it generates the hard-coded class if that makes sense that's interesting yeah because yeah also as you mentioned like where the generative files are like it's always super not confusing um but it's like all those files which you don't want to look into and don't want to touch um and you're thinking should i commit this to the repository should i have our people generate them themselves and it's always like this right. a, a bit of a hassle you know the uh the latest recommendation on the flutter team and the dart lang is that you do check in generated files now when i first started with flutter it was not the case but um they have since changed it to where it is recommended which is kind of cool so like you know if you're working collaborating on a project like uh have a project called amp store we you know i'll out of you know simplicity, I will go ahead and generate all the files, and then if someone needs a change, then I can update it. But yeah, for the most part, uh, only usually one or two people are generating the new files because, in theory, you're wanting to generate as little as possible. Um, like you don't you don't want to just be like you know generate application and then all of your application is generated because it's like. <laughs> while that would be great and we wouldn't have jobs that would be uh you know it's it's you know you want to there's this flexibility that you or um this dance that you have to make you know where you know 
you have this trade-off of generating code to save you time and generating and writing code to be flexible. And there's this balance that you have to strike. And it just really depends on the project for sure. Yes, definitely. Yeah. So um, another thing that we both have really gotten excited about is using the Oculus Quest. And at Flutter Interact, we were both able to try this. I was able to bring my headset to uh, Flutter Interact. And I just was curious about what was your thoughts about, you know, trying VR for the first time and what's got you excited about, you know, just the general scope of VR in general? Um, actually, that was my first time trying VR. Like before that, I used to um, go to a so-called VR space in my city uh, a couple of times. Um, they have those HTC Vives, um, basically four stations. You pay for 30 minutes and you can have up to four players and play some games. Um, but the thing that was so that stood out so much to me when you brought that VR headset is how accurate that was compared to the HTC Vive, which HTC Vive is perfect and the Oculus is also perfect, but yeah. at a significantly lower price point and without cables and setup. Like I remember we were at that Airbnb, we had a couple of hours left and we just took the Oculus Quest, I, I drew the whole Airbnb on the ground and was able to navigate through that without colliding with any objects and just feeling confident because it didn't lag, it didn't have some sort of weird artifacts, it just worked. And at that point, I got so excited because just being free, like instead of being bound to a computer with cables and stuff, you can have this headset, take it on wherever you are and have all those um, very interesting immersive experiences. Yeah, um, I feel like for me, it was, I tried it in a Best Buy. It was the first time I ever tried VR and it was an Oculus Quest, yeah, I believe at the time. And I just remember taking off the demo and being like, I cannot leave the store without this <laughs> because it was just like, it had completely changed my mind. I had used Google Daydream. I had been using Google Cardboard since it came out. I had been using pretty much any um, access besides using like the Rift and you know Oculus uh, Oculus Rift and HTC Five. Yeah, I um, you know, I was just I was so fascinated with mobile VR, but then the Oculus Quest was the perfect balance I was looking for, which was the flexibility of desktop VR with the mobility of you know mobile VR. And the fact for me was the hand controllers. You know, being able to like just reach out and I remember playing the Space Pirates demo and just being like looking at my hand which had a gun in it and being like how is it so detailed I could just look around and I was like it looks like it's right there and your brain is like freaking out and be like and then also there's this app called you know the Plank Experience and you could just walk out and I just everything in your mind is like trying to convince you that this thing is reality and it's uh it's incredible the technology and how far it's come. I haven't actually tried that one yet. Like the playing experience, a lot of people told me about it. Um, I'll definitely have to try it at some point. I remember when I very first tried VR, I think it was actually on Gamescom like quite a couple of years ago when the, how was the first headset called, uh, which was by Facebook? Uh, oh, Vigo? I think. Or are you talking about the Samsung one? I think it was, it was one of the very first ones. I think it was, was I am not quite sure how it was called, what, but basically uh, it was a sitting experience, like uh, being at Gamescom, just waiting all day to get in. And I remember playing this game where you were, were in this uh, space suit or whatever, and you could jump around onto high buildings and jump down. And jumping down from that building actually felt like falling, even though I was sitting. Have you got the update for hand tracking yet? Um, yes, um, I do. Like, I, I think there were a few other features. Um, I, I'm not sure if I have the big new update. I think that also has a few UI changes, but I definitely feel like the hand tracking got way better. And yeah, talking about hand tracking, like that's the next step. Like those controllers yeah. are pretty cool. Like, but it's still like you have to use the controllers. You have to get into into those straps. Um, you have to have your hands. It depends on the game. But just having your fingers and having all this control, that's, I mean, it opens so many more possibilities. Uh, what have you tried with hand tracking? Like, what is your experience? So 
my favorite uh, latest point update was the fact that it can automatically switch between hands and controllers based on interaction, which is so awesome. Like, so for example, like a normal day in VR, I may pop on my headset, open big screen, maybe watch a movie. And it's just, that's an interaction where I just need my hands. But then like, I want to pop out Beat Saber. That wouldn't be kind of awkward with hands, but it works great with the controllers. And then I go over to Robo Recall and I bring out the controllers, but then I want to go back to like, um, you know, YouTube, for example, or Netflix. And it's like hand controllers are right, just using your hands. It's nice. Yeah. But do those apps work with hands? Like when uh, I tried uh, the hand tracking a couple of times and most apps didn't support hand tracking, even though they didn't actually need controllers that much. Do Does yeah, Netflix and all those apps support hand tracking? The only one I've used so far that supports it really well is the Oculus TV app. So, yeah. Um, yeah, because a lot of the developers need to update their apps to support this new feature. Um, but and what I suspect is maybe we'll see a... Um, I think we're going to see a compatibility mode that can be turned on in the settings that allows you to use hand tracking in any app. So we'll see. So speaking of VR, how do you feel about developing for VR? Because I feel like once I started using it, I got really excited about VR, but there was just something in me that was like, I have to create something on this platform because it was just like app development's really fun. Desktop's really fun, but like there's something about being immersed in a 360 environment, putting anything where you want and just, I don't know, like what, what, what's your thoughts on that? Cause I, I just think that's like the next wave of applications. Yes. Like actually the main reason why I bought that Oculus Quest, like I tried that with you. I think I literally yeah. bought the Quest like a few hours after. Um, yeah, it was Yeah, <laughs> was basically what you can create with it. Like I, I know VR, I used VR before. Um, I know the feeling, it's great. And having, buying something like this for that price, I think it was like 300 bucks, which compared to the other, uh, the other VR headsets is like super cheap because for those you need the headset, you need all the equipment and you need a good gaming PC. But yeah. with the Quest, like just being able to um, move around free, like I thought about so many ideas you could implement, like just think about it. You're not bound to a PC, so you can, even though it would look very awkward, you could take on and use the headset anywhere. Like I thought about how cool would it be if you'd be in a car, obviously not driving yourself, but sitting in there as a passenger, getting that headset on, having some sort of location data and maybe acceleration data and just replacing the stuff you see outside with VR stuff. Maybe you're in a race, maybe you're just looking at beautiful landscapes. Yeah, and exactly. Yeah, just, just having the ability to move around freely and just not being restricted was like mind blowing to me. For you? Yeah, for me, um, I have been experimenting with um, you know, uh, there's this technology called WebXR, um, which has come out. WebVR has been out for a little bit now. And WebVR is the ability to do virtual reality experiences on the web. Um, WebXR is that um, with a proper implementation and a proper web standard, the difference is WebXR can also target augmented reality experiences. So I've been creating a bunch of demos recently. And particularly, I love this framework called A-Frame which is built on top of 3JS, it allows you to declaratively build these scenes um, with HTML, which is super cool, or at least web components. Um, and what I like about that is uh, there's even a project called React 360, which is cool too, where you can build you know, websites and UI and you know, VR kind of formats. But I think it's so cool because you know, when, you're, when you're developing in this you know, experience, you don't have to be bound by just like a, a four by three or 16 by nine aspect ratio box. You know, you can have all your important content in front of you. You can have look around for, you know, other details. You could literally build, you know, like a mission control room and have everything you need. And what's cool about the, the quest is you can literally walk over to anywhere you want and have everything change like you know versus an interactive too versus you know in a 360 video it's all just passive and in a mobile application it's all about what's just on the screen at the same time but like it really and especially interactive movies and stuff like that allows you to like let the user 
choose what they want to do and you know how they want to see it yes also just just mixing that with the topic we had before flutter like um chris sells actually had um a very interesting uh device build which he called the flutter octopus um basically it's like this thing which consists of eight arms um with each of those arms being connected to some sort of mobile device or desktop and just hot reloading and developing for on all devices at the same time and like with the oculus quest you could take this flirt octopus to the next level instead of just having eight devices you can develop with like you could literally have 1000 devices like just imagine yes. having a big a big uh, house a flat uh, having a wall putting on the vr headset and having all sorts of device configurations on that wall just walking around and interacting with the app and seeing how it works well i'll tell you what if i'm uh developing with the flutter occupus and um vr i'm going to be doing it like x-men and have like a sphere development room <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's um it's pretty crazy how how you're not limited anymore by just like this 2d space it's like it's literally mobile development going 3d and it's um because you know you still have menus and all these other stuff but you just you adapt it for virtual reality so you don't have a lot of flat panels you have curved panels and you don't have so much your depth is literally depth so material design is really big on you know elevation so thing is that translates to vr because you know a floating action button will actually be physically closer to you than it will be um and whatever and i think another cool thing you know octopus is one awesome thing to do in vr but another thing for mobile development and web design i think would be a cool way to explore it would be like what if you wanted to explore your view hierarchy or your list of dependencies in node graph or like just like visualizing a data table schema you know it's just like you see things from that perspective you cannot see in other ways. It's interesting, yeah. Like a lot of errors and a lot of um, time you spend as a software engineer is just um, coming up with solutions, fixing stuff, and just visualizing stuff is so important in the whole process. And just having this, as you said, this this another layer which helps you put things into context and just iterate and move around like, you could even combine this with some sort of collaboration, like think about having some sort of room with a lot of devices um, and you have your buddy with you who sits at a table in real life, maybe on her side of the world, and you're just both coding. If he wants to ask you a question, you just come over and look over his shoulder and just point out, okay, look at this line, maybe change this, and you could go to his virtual keyboard and mouse <laughs> and, and fix it for him and then walk around, then point on a device on the screen and just uh, compile the app for that device. Like mm -hmm. the possibilities are quite literally endless. <laughs> yeah, and I feel like in a time like this, I mean, at the time of this recording, we're going through the coronavirus. And so it's like having to do everything from home and having you you kind of really start to love the idea of virtual reality because I don't know about you, but I, I miss hanging out with people and it's like uh, being able to, you know, connect with people in this virtual way, not bound by anything. Like, you know, I don't have to fly to another country just to be able to collaborate with someone on a project. Yes, you can do it over GitHub and pull requests and screen sharing. But what's cool about VR is you also have your avatar and it's just, I don't know about you, but it's just like having a conversation in VR is so much different than a FaceTime call or whatever, because you just, you have this nonverbal communication too, that just, you don't get in other platforms. Yeah. I mean, that's a big thing. Like that's, I think why still not all work, work is remote because that physical in-person um, connection sometimes can help. Like, I mean, remote yeah. works, uh, in a lot of cases, but sometimes just having some way of actually working together um, can make a difference. The interesting yeah. thing I, I thought about VR too is right now with the Oculus Quest, in my opinion, we're at a point technology-wise where everything is 
is there what you need to build something like we have hand tracking we, you can send voice over over the internet you can move objects you can synchronize pixels like that's what it is devices you can send over keystrokes you can do whatever you want all you have to do right now is combine all those technologies and build something new it kind of feels like the early days of the web like everything's possible it's all super experimental um, but nothing from like from core technology is missing right now to build something cool yeah, we're just limited by what we can create. <laughs> it's an interesting time. Yeah, it's it's no longer, well, we need more hardware. Like, the only thing that hardware is helping with right now is machine learning. Yeah, you know, you want to have as crazy as powerful computers possible, but all it does is just shave off time. Um, until we get to, like, you know, a full, like, quantum computing state where you can um, really start to do these mathematical problems that can exist in multiple states, I... I just feel like right now we're in a new wave of just like we're only limited by the things that we can create and how fast we can create them, um, which is a pretty exciting time to be a developer. <laughs> so uh, this next section I want to have devoted to just any new packages that you have found in the last week or so. Um, is there anything you'd like to share that you've come across that you're just you know, super glad you... Found. Yes, actually, it is not a package and it is not directly related to Flutter. Um, but I found this um, GitHub project, uh, which is called Screen Copy, like it's um, SCRCPY, um, which basically allows to copy your phone screen onto your desktop, um, which is super cool if you have um, less powerful hardware like I do. And uh, for desktop isn't working yet because I'm using Firebase and Windows. Um, and the cool thing is I'm using ADB over Wi-Fi. So what I can literally do is have my phone somewhere in the house, compile to the phone and have the screen on my computer and just have an Android emulator, which is not an emulator without the performance impact. So does it remote debug too? Yes, like everything. Like you can hot reload, you can have breakpoints. Like it's literally... Um, it's the same as if you have connected your phone with a cable, um, but it's over Wi-Fi and you have your screen on your computer. And the cool thing too is you can interact with the phone, like you can use your keyboard, you can, um, you can even drop an APKs into the window and have it installed on the device. Like I, I just came across it like a couple of hours ago and I was like, that is cool. Um, yeah. So does it allow um, like tapping on dragging around on the screen it all works it all works like you can use your you it's like i played around with it for about 10 minutes um but i'm definitely going to use this for those times where floor desktop isn't working or my computer um would burn down if i started another emulator <laughs> um but yeah like we'll have the links to those in the description um so yeah absolutely check those out um but yeah, how about you? Um, for me, the packages I've been most excited about recently is the new freeze package um, and the new state notifier and flutter state notifier. These all work together in a really cool way. Um, it allows me to have this form of state management, which is a, a one direction data flow, um, but also allowing me to have take advantage of you know value notifier um, as well as you know just having this provider based, um, object model. You know, you can look up and down the widget tree to grab your model and to call your actions, but the data is, like, you never have to worry about updating the data in the wrong place because everything's like get only and immutable. Um, I think it's a really cool way because you, you can run into a lot of issues like, oh, well, I updated this data on this screen, but I forgot to update it on this other screen. But, you know, for example, AmpStore, uh, one of the package or uh, applications I built, in order to do undo redo, uh, you don't want to have to like you know call this um, undo stack you know from everywhere. You just have a single place where the data changes, and you just you know you can listen to those events and just you know it's kind of more of a stream based, uh, which I think RX is pretty similar to. But um, yeah, it's it's really nice one way data flow. I mean, I think Redux got it right for that. That's pretty cool. Um, sounds very interesting. I'll have to definitely check that out too. Yep. And then um, what about any uh, 
projects that you've been working on uh, at least recently? Projects right now, um, yes, but um, very little time. And I think I should be able to share more details in a future episode. Um, but how, how about you? Yeah, I always have a, you know, a ton of projects, but at least at the moment, um, Flutter Editor has been one I've been pushing a lot. Um, yes, you, you talked about it briefly before. Do you want to uh, give us a bit yeah. more info about that? Um, so I, first of all, if you guys are curious, you can always um, subscribe to my YouTube channel. I've been doing some live streams of me coding it. Um, but so basically the whole concept of the Flutter Editor is I'm building a template generator for Flutter that is a no-code way to prototype and design Flutter applications um, you know, without having to need the compiler. The cool part is if you run it on desktop and you do have the compiler installed, it can do a lot of other stuff for you. Um, so it can actually do hot reload, it can debug your application, it can do all this other stuff. But it's not meant to replace VS Code, it's more meant to replace the design side. Um, what's cool that I got working uh, last night is you can, you know, for example, I you can create themes for your Flutter application. You can add custom colors. You can use the color picker and do all that. And it actually updates the theme file inside of your Flutter application. So you can literally have this open next to VS Code, um, update the theme file, and then all of a sudden your app will be running and will show the new changes of the new theme colors. Um, you can change the theme modes and all this kind of stuff. You can do linear gradients, radial gradients. So um, the goal is just to really empower the user to do all the stuff that are hard to do programmatically. Like it's really hard to go look up like the CSS color codes and all this different stuff. It's a lot easier just to have a color picker and just be like, use the eyedropper tool and be like, okay, I want it like this color in the app, but I want it slightly different shade or opacity. Um, as well as you can edit existing files. Um, it has a cool PWA manifest generator in there. So you can like, you know, customize all your settings for, you know, progressive web apps. And then also one other tool that I built in there, which I'm excited about is you can resize your icons. So you can upload an icon image and it'll automatically update your project with the, uh, the new icons in the correct folders. So Mac OS, Windows, Linux, wherever. Um, that one's pretty cool because it's sometimes a pain to have to go to update your icon every time um, because you have to update it in so many different places. And now including the web, you know, and the, the favicon and everything it's just there's there's so many things that you have to do and so easy to miss stuff yeah it sounds pretty cool like i'm super excited for uh future updates and your progress on that so um where should people follow you if you if they want to see what cool things you're building so you could pretty much follow me on every platform as rody davis r-o-d-y-d-a-v-i-s um that includes twitter github youtube and um We'll have links to all this in the description below. Uh, what about you? Um, yeah, mostly the same, like Twitter, GitHub, um, Medium. It's Norbert, um, K-O-Z-S-I-R, um, Koshir. Um, awesome. Basically, um, again, trying to get more um, back into posting online stuff and building cool things, which I've unfortunately been missing out on a bit in the last couple of weeks and months, but I'm super excited to um, participate um, more again. Yeah, absolutely. And um, if you guys are curious, you, we are both pretty um, approachable. So um, if you have questions about the podcast or have things that you want us to talk about, make sure to follow us on Twitter and give us a shout. Um, by the time we're posting this, we probably should have a Twitter channel or something for this. But um, yeah, we this is all about the community and what you guys are creating. So we are excited about projects that we find and we love to bring up new stuff all the time. So um, thank you so much for listening. If you have feedback, um, you can also email us, um, send to us on Twitter. And then, um, and most importantly, if you love this, please give us a rate on iTunes and a Stitcher wherever you listen to podcasts because that really helps this podcast grow. Thank you so much. Thank you.